There's a word that comes to mind when I'm talking to others or simply reflecting within regarding the people I particularly admire, those who inspire and teach me, those who provide models for how I wish to be. That word is real. People that I think of as real display that not only through self-awareness and genuine expression of who they are, which we will dive into deeper next Sunday, but also in terms of their awareness and thus their relationship with the world and the circumstances in which we live. They're just real, I might say, at a loss for any other way to describe that quality that I find so admirable and sadly more and more unique, rare, notable. But it's kind of a silly descriptor, right? We are, all of us, real. To say that we exist is to say that we are located within this thing, this place, this experience we know as reality. And when I call reality an experience, I don't mean that everyone shares the same experiences on an individual level, but that we assume that the multitudinous variety of real experiences that individual life forms have all take place within the framework of this macro experience known as reality. However, given that no individual is granted that macro vision of reality as a whole, what do I imagine it means to get real? Let me approach the question another way. I am a Dr. Phil fan. (laughs) Now, sometimes I am a little embarrassed to admit that. I don't mean that I always agree with what he says or that anyone else should spend their precious time watching his show. And I understand those who give me funny looks when I make this confession. However... Among the many phrases that become familiar to those who have watched the show, including such gems as, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck, and the pointed question, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? In addition to those, there are a couple of phrases that he repeats often that seem to be contradictory or at least paradoxical and are, I believe, relevant here. Number one, there aren't versions of the truth. Usually followed up by something like, it either happened or it didn't. You either said that or you didn't. (coughs) Excuse me. So that's number one. There aren't versions of the truth. Number two, perception is reality usually trying to explain to people arguing over what really happened, that they may have perceived the experience differently and that perception creates the individual's reality. And I concur with Dr. Phil that both of these things are true. The question is, what do we do with this paradox? What is our response? We humans can and do easily equate our perceptions of reality with reality itself. 
such that when others offer perspectives that are not part of our own perceptions, we are apt to, often unintentionally, deny, dismiss, or discredit their perspectives. We carry a power of self-justification, which sometimes, not always, requires self-deception. So while we may carry a genuine desire to discover and deal with what is real, we are sometimes also pulled in precisely the opposite direction if we find reality to be too challenging or discordant with what we already believe to be true. To complicate this further, we live in the wake of postmodernism, which, among many other things, challenges any kind of certainty regarding objective reality at all. Some have seen this as an opportunity to indulge this natural human tendency to seek out information that supports the strong beliefs and attitudes we already hold, a tendency which has been jet-fueled in the digital age, where we can gather in like-minded social media communities, customize news sources, project a virtual reality about ourselves and our lives, which may have only tenuous connections to our lives on the ground, and spend our time in an online echo chamber. If there is no objective reality, let's all just choose the flavor we like and run with it. And... Before I get all self-righteous about this phenomenon, I must note that we, Unitarian Universalists and proponents of liberal religion, have sometimes been charged with fueling these very flames of relativism with our proclamations that each person has their own truth, that we create our own realities, and the sloppy, if well-meaning, welcome that we sometimes prefer saying, come in and join us. Here, you can believe whatever you want. Whatever you want. (laughs) We are accused of treating the sources of our tradition, Jewish, Christian, humanist, and earth-centered teachings, wisdom from the world's religions, words and deeds of prophetic people, treating them like a smorgasbord, selecting those pieces from each that fit comfortably with our pre-existing beliefs and ignoring the rest. And because we refuse to proclaim a single, eternal, unquestioned doctrine, some say we have helped to create a world without a moral center. Just telling you people (laughs) So given all that, how can I respond as a Unitarian Universalist minister, proud and pleased to serve this congregation and a flawed but faithful follower of this non-creedal liberal religious tradition, how can I profess to value getting real? It's going to call for more water, certainly. Again, it depends on how I respond to the truths I mentioned earlier. When I hear perception is reality, understanding that to be true, I am called as a Unitarian Universalist to hear that as a challenge to widen my vision rather than an opportunity to narrow it. I am called to question easy assumptions rather than stubbornly 
justify them. I am called to take that as an invitation to explore further rather than as an excuse not to. (coughs) That, I think, is the welcome that Unitarian Universalism extends to the world. We are not inviting you to believe whatever you want, but to believe whatever you must, given what you discover in an ongoing search for truth, an open engagement with the world around you, an honest reflection upon your own life. What truths have you come to? What must you believe? Karl Rove displays the manipulative and morally untethered activities that can be inspired by postmodernism if one concludes that there is no objective reality. We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality, he told the journalist Ron Suskind in 2004. And that may well have been how the other contestants at the emperor's palace explained the beautiful plants that had somehow magically bloomed from the boiled seeds. We created our own reality. But the emperor saw it for what it was, manipulative and morally untethered dishonesty. We are living with the devastating consequences of such a posture as elected leaders no longer even give a tip of the hat to honesty as they spin their own truths. And the Washington Post keeps track of the president's false or misleading claims since he took office, which, as of December 16th, numbered 15,413. The idea of your truth and my truth and everyone has their own truth has gone haywire. But the other piece of our paradoxical relationship with reality as channeled through Dr. Phil is that there aren't versions of the truth. Something happened or it didn't. We can carry different opinions about the efficacy of what happened. We can carry different perspectives owing to our context about what happened. We can express, argue for, even change our opinions about what happened, but we can't change the facts. Our principles do carry what I consider an objective truth about the nature of reality, the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. That is the ground from which our values, principles, and commitments grow. When we talk about a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, we acknowledge that our commitment to respecting inherent interdependence brings a responsibility with it. When we refuse to enshrine a single capital T truth into a creed to which we all must subscribe, it is because we understand that people come to different understandings from each other and different understandings within themselves over time, depending on their personal experiences and reflections and explorations. And that sounds like a direct contradiction to Dr. Phil's assertion that there aren't different versions of the truth, but it's really just a matter of semantics. 
Dr. Phil uses the word truth to talk about the verifiable facts of what has occurred, what really happened, in other words. For us, in this context, talking about truth, it refers to our response to what is really happening, what meanings we draw from it, and how we incorporate that meaning into our lives. But semantics aside, there is agreement on the paradoxical truth. Perception is reality. But that doesn't mean we can just make up the reality we want. That would not be responsible. There is a reality to be explored throughout our lives, and given that our perception of that reality must first pass through the filters of our experience, reflection, and understanding, we are called to continually expand our perspectives, to listen to others, to become proximate with those on the margins of the dominant world view, to question our assumptions, to connect with the experience of others, and to continuously be aware that however much it may feel like I have the whole truth, I am seen only in part. This is our calling. This is our mission. This is what it means to deepen connections. The religious community is essential, writes Mark Morrison Reed, for alone our vision is too narrow to see all that must be seen. Together, our vision widens. The A. Paul Davies reading you heard today is the one I used in February of 2012 preaching at the Unitarian Society of Santa Barbara when I was a pre-candidate here and meeting with the search team in hopes of becoming your minister. It feels as relevant today as it did then, if not more so. As here at the dawning of 2020, we face enormous challenges in our relationship to what is really happening. And remember, it was actually written about 70 years ago. It is, for me, the ultimate call to get real. Gentleness must come back into life even while the realities are still harsh. We must always start exactly where we are and proceed to do the first things that raise our standards and improve us in character. It may mean expunging a prejudice, expelling a bitterness, forgoing a mean intention, deciding upon a generosity. Whatever is real can really get us started. We shall begin to be saved, our civilization and all its people, when we really turn our backs upon what we must leave behind and set our steps toward the future's guiding light. But it must be a real journey with all that goes with a real journey, including its burdens and sacrifices. It must be a journey to which we are altogether committed. Now, Davies was a man who was very adept with words, an author not only of sermons but of many other books, articles, and lectures, having variations on the word real repeated so many times in this relatively short passage feels relevant to me. It is as if he had cast his eye into the future, our present, and seen that the very notion of reality was under attack. 
And yet, rather than engaging in grand philosophical conjectures on the nature of reality, his words ground me in the everyday, starting, as he puts it, exactly where we are. How can I bring generosity into this moment? Where is bitterness lurking within me, and how might I expel it? What is happening within and around me right now, and how might I choose to engage with it in a healthy and healing manner? In a world that is calling me to get my share, or to get ahead, or to pull back altogether and just get by, how can I choose rather to get real?